You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. What's well, everybody? Welcome me into the Philip Jordan Show. I'm your host, Philip Jordan, in studio host and producer of Thomas Football on IC's Point Nine, the Legend. On today's show, I will be joined by AJ Spurt. He is the site editor over at Roll Tide Wire. AJ returning to the show. We'll look back at Alabama's twenty-seven to twenty overtime loss to Michigan there in the Rose Bowl, and we will look how do you define this Alabama season for twenty twenty-three. And what improvements need to be made for the Crimson Tide for next season. And we'll also look at transfer portal losses for Alabama. All that and more on today's edition of the Phil Jordan Show. You can check out the Phil Jordan Show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. Everybody joining me on the show today, as promised, at the top of the show. Uh, we're going to talk all Alabama football here on this interview with A.J. Spurs, site editor over at Roll Tide Wire. And uh, A.J., I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure uh, to, to join you talking some Alabama and SEC football overall. Of course, now the season has come to a close, so... Some Alabama fans may not be happy to hear what we have to say today, but I'm here nonetheless, and I'm happy to do it. Yeah, instead of getting a potential halfway all-SEC dash championship, because I was going to call it that if it was Texas versus Alabama, now we get a halfway <laughs> all-Big Ten national championship because Washington is going into the Big Ten. So it, uh, it it is not a good time for any SEC fan when you see that. No, the SEC fans are probably punching the air right now knowing that you're having basically an all-Big Ten championship, but no conference is more upset about everything than the ACC. So, you know, at least SEC fans can kind of understand they made it to the uh, the college football playoffs. It's the ACC right now that, that has every right to be upset. Uh, Alabama had their shot. They squandered it. It is what it is. Moving on to 12 teams, I don't see a scenario in which the SEC won't be represented by at least two teams moving forward. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I, I even, I'm even already thinking ahead next year. Trying to say, okay, who are going to be the contenders in the SEC <laughs> to get into the 12-team playoff? That's exactly where my mind has gone. Actually, it went there before the 14 playoff on Monday. <laughs> I was already <laughs> thinking about this whole deal. So it's going to be, that's going to be an interesting part of next year. Um how many SEC and Big Ten teams end up getting in it? And then where does the Big 12, the ACC, and one group of five fit in? Exactly. And I think it's also worth mentioning, and I know we weren't going to turn this into a whole college football playoff expansion conversation, but it, you mentioned one group of five team. We have to keep in mind there is no Pac-12 anymore. That's right. So that's right. we're really looking at four power four team or power four conferences rather and then it's six highest ranked conference champions so if you have four power four conferences there's a chance or not a chance there's a, a certainty unless they change things around that we're looking at two group of five champions making uh, the college football playoffs now I, I can certainly see the the cfp committee you know changing things around to work it so that you don't end up having two group of five champions and six at-large you know, bids. They would 
probably prefer to have a uh, a seventh, you know, at large power five team, non champion, make the playoffs. But you know, as we sit here today, that's how it looks. And then you got to factor in Notre Dame into that too. Exactly, which people have, you know, their opinions on Notre Dame and what they should do. I'm of the opinion it's time to just, you know, pony up and join a conference. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that we that could be a conversation for another day and we can talk an entire show length <laughs> about that. But independence overall, uh, it's going to be interesting because Notre Dame at that point is guaranteed to not have a, uh, a bye week uh, when it comes to the first round of the playoffs just because it's hard to work your way into a top four spot without having a conference championship week to, you know, further prove yourself. So no, it's going to be interesting to see what Notre Dame does. It'll be interesting to see how many SEC teams actually make it year in and year out. Um, And then you have these conferences like the ACC and the big 12, where there are still a lot of questions as to who are your top tier programs and are they going to be capable of, you know, making a run into the playoffs once they get there. Look, I'll say this, and then I will move to what we were going to talk about. <laughs> the Sun Belt, you have to. I'm, I'm like an, not even an hour away from Troy. I'm not. I won't be hating it if there's two group of fives get in, <laughs> and then maybe, maybe uh, Coach Parker can keep the, what John Summerall had going and get Troy into the playoff. I'm just going to leave it at that uh, on that one. And, <laughs> but uh, the Rose Bowl. So obviously, and let some kind of behind the scenes. Last time me and you talked, uh, we discussed, hey, if Alabama wins, you come back on the show. So, you know, that was the play in it, but Alabama doesn't win. Let's, say, no, let's do the scene anyway. Let's talk about Alabama. Let's, let's put a let's put an explanation point on the end uh, or mark at the end of this season for Alabama. But uh, in your mind, just this is a broad question, but what happened in the Rose Bowl for Alabama to lose to Michigan? I think uh, what we saw from Alabama's end in the Rose Bowl was a collection of Alabama's biggest issues throughout the season, you know, put together. And we just, we saw a collage of issues from the Crimson Tide. We saw poor, you know, center play from Seth McLaughlin, which I I really don't want to pile up on him. I know a lot of people already have and have crossed a line when it comes to talking about him. We saw poor uh, pass protection, which I understand Michigan's defense is one of the most elite in the country, if not the most elite defense in the country. Uh, but Jalen Milrow, if he had the ball in his hands after fielding the snap, you know, there was a, a Michigan defender right in his face. Uh, you know, we, we didn't see much from wide receivers. The run game really couldn't, you know, get going uh, on the remaining on the offensive side of the ball. Tommy Reese having as much time as he had to game plan specifically for Michigan. We didn't see anything you know, that, that you wouldn't expect from Alabama uh, on a normal week. And you would think that you, you're in the college football playoffs. You were really gifted a spot, uh, as many people would consider it, and you didn't take advantage of that opportunity. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, we really saw this Alabama defensive front lack in terms of being able to uh, stop or mitigate the damage uh, from that run game, not just from Blake Corum, but just anybody with the ball in their hands, yards after catch, uh, any handoffs were, were taken at a minimum, you know, a, a handful of yards. It didn't feel like at any point the Crimson Tide defense had a solid, you know, stance against J.J. McCarthy and this offense, 
which heading into this game, J.J. McCarthy was really considered to be a non-factor. You just couldn't give him the opportunity to play like a solid quarterback, and instead they did. You know, one of the most outstanding stats that I had seen heading into this Rose Bowl game was the fact that J.J. McCarthy had only thrown one passing touchdown since late October, and instead he looked like a a very legitimate quarterback. And and I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not or that he wasn't heading into the Rose Bowl, but he certainly hadn't looked like it leading into that game. So it's, it's an issue with Alabama's team, both sides of the ball, it felt like they were back in week two against Texas when they lost, week three on the road against USF when they had a whole cacophony of issues. You know, it, it didn't seem like Alabama showed up to make a national championship. It seemed like they were content with winning the SEC championship and that they were just happy to be there because there were way too many issues going on all over the field for this team to be considered legitimate uh, national title contenders. And I say this, Philip having taken the number one team into overtime, losing by a touchdown. And it really came down to that final play. So while I sit here and, and talk about how ugly of a performance it was from Alabama, at the end of the day, you know, their worst performance is still able to take the top-ranked team in the college football playoffs at the Rose Bowl into overtime. And really, it shouldn't have gone that far. There were many opportunities for Alabama to go up by multiple scores put the game away earlier uh, than late in the fourth quarter, and they just couldn't capitalize on it. Yeah, because it felt like first half, and I give it to Michigan, that they outplayed Alabama, just the way that first half went. And, of course, Alabama's touchdown there was off the muff punt and all that. But then in the third quarter, it felt like, okay, Nick Saban and staff, they have made some adjustments. Really, the third quarter felt like Alabama's quarter. And early into the fourth quarter, but then – Michigan stars, J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, Roman Wilson, they made big plays to kind of or went into overtime. So it was kind of one of those, like you thought Alabama had taken the momentum, but then Michigan took it back. And it's funny you mention that because all season long, and I point to that uh, Tennessee game where at halftime, I'm not sure what's going on in that locker room, but whatever it is, you know, it's typically worked well for Alabama. Uh, the halftime adjustments that are made are not only necessary, but they're near perfect. And then on the flip side of that same coin, you look at what happened in the Arkansas game where there was a second-half collapse. Mm-hmm. And with such a strong third-quarter showing from this team, I was confident in the fact that they had done it. They had done what they did against Tennessee and that they had made some adjustments and corrections and you know maybe tweaked some things that they had improperly game-planned for and we're really going to come into the second half and finish it out and move on to the national championship uh, to face you know whoever it would have been, and now we know it's Washington. Uh, but really, it was that fourth quarter and that final drive that Michigan had on offense was not only impressive you know, on behalf of Michigan, it really did feel like Alabama's defense got soft there, and they gave them way too many opportunities to move the ball down the field effectively, and they were lucky to have the ball back with, I'm not sure how much time it was. It was over a minute, but it was, it was enough time for, you know, that Bryce Young 99-yard drive in the Iron Bowl a few years ago. And I think a lot of Alabama fans were hoping that's what was going to happen uh, to close out the Rose Bowl. But, you know, alas, it wasn't. They went into overtime, and Blake Corum did what Blake Corum does best, and that's make defenders miss and run through them. So 
Alabama just couldn't finish that second half as strong as they started it. So, and everybody's talked about this week, the final play, the the fourth and three, running Milrow, which I still say one that, with that play, and I'd love to give your, your thoughts and your analysis. The bad snap probably threw him off. And I still – he watched a play. If he, if he maybe would have held it for a split second longer, the left side looked like something may have been opening up. But what did you see with that, and what was kind of your opinion of going with that play? You know, I don't want to pin blame all on Seth and mm-hmm. that snap. Even though I would say that that is a, a large contributing factor into the failure that was that final play, I'm not going to blame it all on him. And it's not really on anybody here except the coaching staff. I'm not a fan of the play that was drawn up. And I know Saban came out later and said that that was, you know, their strongest two point conversion play, which I understand that's where you're at on the field. That's what you have to do. But you're right. That left side was wide open. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a linebacker or an edge rusher, whoever it was from Michigan overshot Milrow by a long shot. He could have, really walked into the end zone or at the very least been tackled into the end zone had he gone to that left side. But there was that little bit of panic there uh, with the line just giving in. You had the low snap and you have a a first year starting quarterback in the biggest stage in college football. He fielded it. He picked it up. He ran straight. It was as ugly as it could have gone. And, um, you know, now we're sitting here talking about it. Fans are still talking about it uh, days later. So, you know, there are many things that went into what went wrong there. And I don't think that it's fair to pin blame on one specific person or coach. Because like I said at the the very beginning of this, the game as a whole kind of exposed Alabama's biggest weaknesses. Or at the very least, they couldn't, you know, hide those weaknesses in this game. And it felt like every single one of those those weak points for Alabama came out on that play. There wasn't great protection. There was a bad snap. You had Jalen Milrow just pick it up and start running, uh, you know, with, with really no aim, just trying to get any yardage he could get, which might work on second or third down. But w- with fourth and goal, you're right there. You have to do something special. And, and we just didn't see it from Alabama. And I know that they're returning – a lot of key guys next year uh, on offense that could hopefully contribute to another, you know, college football playoff run for Alabama. But as things stood today, it, it, it was, you know, a lack of experience. It was a lack of, you know, in-game IQ. I want to put it not to say that anybody there doesn't have high football knowledge, but it was the heat of the moment. It was panic. And, and it resulted in, you know, Michigan storming the field, moving on to the national championship. And you talk about going into next year. And, you know, I was obviously with Cosville, especially in SEC, whenever anybody, any team ends the season, you always say, okay, what's next? What's going to happen next season? And, and as we look into the spring and into that, into 2024, where do you see – places Alabama needs to improve the most? I'm sure offensive line has got to be one of them, but. Are there some other areas? Well, yeah. I mean, you hit the nail right on the head there. It's got to be the offensive line. Uh, Caden Proctor, hopefully, as he moves into his sophomore season, look, having a, a tackle be a true freshman, even as you know highly touted as he was as a recruit, 
you know, he, he improved significantly throughout the season, but I don't think he was as rock solid as a lot of people thought he was going to be to kick off his college career. Uh, there's definitely, you know, some improvement to be had at the center position. But if we look beyond the offensive line, and I'll stick with, uh, with the offense here, I'm going to go ahead and say wide receiver. I would really like to see Jalen Milrow be given, you know, the, the, the same offensive skill weapon that Bryce Young had uh, over the past few seasons. And we're looking at an Alabama that's post-rideout, you know, era. And, and I'm talking when I say rideout, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy. Alabama doesn't have those flashy guys anymore, uh, or at least, you know, they haven't emerged yet. And I really thought uh, going into some players that I was a little surprised to see enter the portal, I was really surprised to see Malik Benson not being used as heavily as I thought he would heading into the preseason or heading into the uh, the start of the season. Uh, during the preseason, Philip, I was convinced Malik Benson was going to be the star of this uh, Alabama offense, and he was hardly ever used. So uh, I would really pinpoint wide receiver as a position of need for the Crimson Tide heading into uh, 2024. You know, you brought it up, uh, transfer portal, players going in, and and I look at you had quarterback Eli Holstein. I know there's a lot of hope and expectation with him. I think a lot of people were very high on him uh, when he did commit to Alabama. Of course, the quarterback room is is crowded. You have, you know, with Ty Simpson there too as well. And then, of course, you mentioned him. We've mentioned him a couple of times here. Uh, Senator Seth McLaughlin, he entered the portal. But any other players kind of stick out to you that have entered the portal? Well, I mentioned Benson. Uh, he, he, to me, and this might just be a personal thing, uh, just because of how highly I thought of him heading into the start of the season. He was one that really shocked me, uh, not necessarily because of how little he was used, which is understandable as to why he would enter the portal. Um, but on the defensive side of the ball, Christian Story and uh, Earl Little were two that, that really did shock me as, uh, as players that entered the portal because those were two guys that you could see moving into next season, you know, playing in some some very big key contributor roles uh, for Alabama. You know, and finally, just kind of tying it back into the second part, talking about reviewing the, the season as a whole. When you look back at the 2023 Alabama football season, how do you see the definition of that team being? That's a great question. I, I, I'll leave it with this. The motto for this team was Lank. Let all naysayers know. And I'll say that the naysayers at this point still don't know so that there's unfinished business, but they're aware. This Alabama team made the playoff despite losing in week two, having a hideous week three against USF, you know, uh, going down to the wire, needing a miracle against Auburn, and they still pulled it out and every single week improved. You know, a lot of people every year like to talk about the downfall of Saban and the, uh, the Alabama dynasty. And I think that the perseverance of this team and the, the player-led mentality of this team hopefully would be carried over into next year. But this team was resilient, and it played hard, and it really, really wanted to achieve its goal of winning a national championship, and they got as close as they could. I mean, they were one of four teams vying for that uh, national title at the end of the day. 
So this is a team that should be remembered for playing hard and being resilient. But as a lot of them uh, say when they return and you know decide to forego the draft or not enter the transfer portal, there's a lot of unfinished business, Philip. And I think a lot of the leaders from this team that are returning next year have an opportunity to do so with a huge chip on their shoulder. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting spring uh, when it comes up. Uh, a lot of a lot of fun question marks. A lot of interesting subplots. I think with Alabama going forward. And look, you know, a lot of teams they would love to have this problem, but three years without a national title. I know that's going to be a, another question uh, that's going to be asked of Saban and uh, other people around the program uh, between now and the start of next season. But anyways, uh, I appreciate AJ you coming on the show. Uh, if people wanted to check it out, where, uh, where can they find you on the work you're doing? Well, they can follow me on Twitter at SpurFM. That's S-P-U-R-R and F-M like the radio dial. And they can also check out RollTideWire.USAToday.com. We are still covering Alabama football, the transfer portal, players leaving, players potentially coming in, uh, the NFL draft as well. At this point, there's a lot of players that are deciding whether to or not to declare for the draft. And then, you know, once that all comes to a close, we're also going to be covering basketball uh, very heavily as well as baseball and softball moving forward. And once it gets a little bit closer, we'll be going very in-depth with some 2024 NFL draft analysis for the former Crimson Tide players that are waiting to hear their names called. You know, everybody says, oh, well, the season's over with, but it, it never ends. The football it part did. of it, it never ends. So it's always fun. But anyways, AJ, I appreciate you coming on the show once again, and I hope we can do this again sometime down the road. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to uh, joining you again sometime soon. 96.9 The Legend is your connection to classic country legend. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m. and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America at night and coast to coast am keep you company and connected throughout the night plus fox news the alabama radio network and wiregrass daily news keep you informed with national international state and local news and with more musical choices like all the hits 1067 kmx today's country 95.5 wtvy and music 1077 digio strategies gives you more choices and more variety listen on air online and on our apps 96.9 the legend is just the beginning once again thanks to aj spur for coming on the show always enjoy having him on talk all things alabama and we're going to try to do that with some guests that cover teams from the sec over to southeast stuff like that kind of look back review the season and uh that was kind of the first one there with aj spur over at roll tide wire so let's jump into some headlines as we get out of here on this friday and Let's pick up with Alabama. Quarterback Eli Holstein, he has entered the transfer portal. Four-star out of Zachary, Louisiana. He was the number eight quarterback in the 2023 class. Uh, Didn't get to play any this year. He has four years remaining to play wherever he will land. Uh, Current quarterbacks for Alabama, of course, Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, and Dylan Lonergan. I may have mispronounced his name. But anyways, he will be hitting the transfer portal, like I said. His quarterbacks, you want to see instant playing time. 
and there's just none there for him uh, right now. And with Tyler Buckner being there too this past year, I know he's transferring out back to Notre Dame, but to play lacrosse. Still not a lot of room there. Then Alabama players going to the NFL draft. Of course, we talked about Dallas Turner earlier in the week after Alabama lost in the Rose Bowl. You also have offensive tackle J.C. Latham, edge rusher Chris Browswell, kicker Will Reichert, and a defensive back Kool-Aid McKinstry put his name in the draft pool this week as well. Some other news, Liberty quarterback Caden Salter has entered the transfer portal. He led Liberty to an undefeated regular season in Fiesta Bowl appearance. That did not go well against Oregon. He was a Conference USA MVP. This year, he threw for 2,876 yards, 32 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. He's a 61% passer on the ground, ran for 1,089 yards and 12 touchdowns. His first two seasons there at Liberty, he played under now Auburn head coach Hugh Freeze. He has two years remaining of eligibility. As soon as his name hits the portal, what happened with Auburn in the bowl game, what Hugh Freeze talking about the quarterback competition being wide open, you got to think there may be some connection and some smoke here uh, with him going to Auburn. We'll see how that turns out. Kind of a bit of surprising news on Thursday. Ole Miss running back Quinshawn Junkins, he has entered the transfer portal per 24-7 sports, 15-plus touchdowns each of the last two seasons, actually 31 touchdowns over the last two years. And he's also run for 2,723 yards. In a post on X, he said, After long talks with my family and hard prayers, I have decided to enter the transfer portal. The decision to enter into the portal was not made lightly, but I believe that it is the best decision for my personal and athletic growth. Seeing stuff online, he was not happy at times. Maybe with his role, how things were going there, don't miss. Now, remember, now for people listening to this locally, in Dothan or in Alabama, he played at Pike Road. That's not too far from Auburn. Of course, in the same state, Alabama. We'll see what might would happen there if Alabama or Auburn go after him. Speaking of the state, Troy has hired their new defensive coordinator, Nathan Burton. He was the D.C. at Kennesaw State this past year. They gave up 17.9 points per game and 308 yards per game. In 2010, he was a UT Martin DB's coach. In 2012, defense coordinator at Shorter University. In 2017, quality control coach over at NC State. He was the DB's coach in 2018 for Temple. From 2019 to 2021, went back to his alma mater to be co-DC and safeties coach at Georgia Tech. And in 2022, he was defensive backs coach for the New Orleans Breakers, part of the USFL. So Coach Parker looking to shape up his staff. And this some news outside of the Southeast, but I think this is a pretty big transfer portal news from the quarterback position. Will Howard of Kansas State will be transferred to Ohio State. He led Kansas State, of course, to the 2022 Big 12 title where they beat TCU. That's, they split with TCU. TCU won the regular season, and then Kansas State won in the conference championship game. He's been 12-5 and five as a starter over the last two seasons. In 27 games, he has thrown for 5,786 yards, 48 touchdowns. He's rushed for 921 yards and 19 touchdowns. This past season, he was 61%, 24 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, 2,643 yards, 351 on the ground, and 9 touchdowns. Of course, Kyle McCord has transferred. He is going to Syracuse. 
We saw the quarterback struggles there in the bowl game against Missouri. So, Ohio State getting a new quarterback. And also, I actually didn't write this down, but Matt House, defense coordinator at LSU, they're out. Looks like Brian Kelly is clean house on the defense side of the ball. And you can see it because this, that defense was just horrible, horrendous this past year. If LSU had had a halfway decent defense, they're a title contender, not 9-3. and three. And, of course, this weekend is the last weekend of the NFL regular season. And there are plenty, plenty of playoff scenarios upon us. Looking at the current standings in the AFC, you got Baltimore number one at 13-3. They've clinched number one seed there in the AFC. Miami is 11-5, but they'll be playing Buffalo Sunday night, who's also 10-6. Winner of that game is the AFC East champions. Kansas City is sitting at 10-6. Jacksonville is 9-7, leading the South right now. Cleveland, surprise team with Joe Flacco, quarterback, 11-5. Buffalo, like I said, 10-6. Then you have Indianapolis, Houston, and Pittsburgh all at 9-7 as well. In the NFC, the 49ers sit at top at 12-4. Dallas is in the two spot at 11-5. Detroit's at three with 11-5, but Dallas with the head-to-head in a controversial matchup. Tampa Bay currently leads the South at 8-8, eight eight, so they're in the fourth spot. Philadelphia is at 5 at 11-5. The Rams are at 9-7 in the sixth spot. And right now, the Green Bay Packers hold the number seven seed with 8-8. Eight eight. But Seattle and New Orleans are right behind them at 8-8. Eight and, eight. and Minnesota is not out of the playoff race at 7-9. So let's look at some of those playoff scenarios. Houston and Indianapolis will play each other on Saturday night on ESPN ABC. Here's at what state for Houston. They clinched the AFC South with a win or Jacksonville lost or tie. They just clinched a regular playoff berth with a Houston with a win or they tie and Jacksonville loses plus a Pittsburgh loss. For the Colts, they win the AFC South with a win plus Jacksonville loss or tie. They also can get in with a tie of themselves or Jacksonville losing. Just to get a playoff berth, they need a win, or a tie plus Pittsburgh loss or tie. Now for the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're playing the Baltimore Ravens, which we're not going to see Lamar Jackson on Sunday. Pittsburgh can get into the playoffs with a win plus Pittsburgh loss, or Jacksonville loss or tie, or Pittsburgh win plus a Houston-Indianapolis tie, or a Pittsburgh tie plus Jacksonville loss, plus Houston, Indianapolis, doesn't end in a tie. Jacksonville loss also can help Pittsburgh get in, plus a Denver win, plus Houston, Indianapolis, doesn't end in tie. No, very, very complicated there, and I always got tongue-tied trying to tell you all that. For the Miami Dolphins, uh, Washington State, they will win the AFC East title with a win or tie, which Miami is in the playoffs. So they, they close the spot, so they're in. But they're trying to win a division title. For the Buffalo Bills, what's at stake for them? Buffalo will clinch the AFC East with a win. The Bills can clinch a playoff berth by tying Pittsburgh loss or tie, Jacksonville loss or tie, or a Houston Indianapolis tie. For the Jacksonville Jaguars, they will win the AFC South with a, with them winning. And also a tie with Houston and Indianapolis. The Jaguars just clinch a playoff spot with a tie plus Pittsburgh loss or tie. Pittsburgh loss plus Denver loss or tie plus Indianapolis-Houston does not end 
in a tie. In the NFC for the Dallas Cowboys, they will clinch the NFC East with a win or they tie with Washington and Philadelphia ties or Philadelphia just loses. For the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they will clinch the NFC South title with a win or they tie, which are playing at Carolina this week, plus New Orleans tie or loss. They clinch a playoff berth with a tie plus Seattle loss plus a Green Bay Packers loss. The Atlanta Falcons, who are playing at New Orleans, Atlanta can still win the NFC South. And they will clinch the NFC South with a win plus a Tampa Bay loss. For the Saints, they clinch the NFC South with a, with a win and a Tampa Bay loss or tie, or New Orleans ties and Tampa Bay loses. Now, the Saints can get into the playoffs with a win plus Seattle loss or a tie plus Green Bay loss or a tie, or New Orleans ties and Seattle loss plus a Green Bay loss. For the Philadelphia Eagles to win the NFC East, the Eagles must win, and then Dallas either loses or ties. And then, of course, you could have Philadelphia tie and Dallas lose. That would also result in a division title for the Philadelphia Eagles. For Seattle Seahawks, they can clinch a playoff berth with a win plus Green Bay losing or tying with Chicago. They also can get in with a tie plus a Green Bay loss plus a Tampa Bay loss or tie. They can also get in with a Green Bay loss and a New Orleans loss or tie. For the Green Bay Packers, how they can get in the playoffs, they can just simply win. Beat Chicago on Sunday, they're in the postseason. Another way, Green Bay can have a tie, plus Seattle loses or ties, and New Orleans loses or ties. Another way for Green Bay to get in, a Seattle loss, plus a Tampa Bay loss, plus Green Bay tied with the Bears. A Green Bay tie plus a Seattle tie plus a Tampa Bay loss or tie. Minnesota loss or tie plus Seattle loss plus Tampa Bay loss. Or Minneapolis loss or tie plus Seattle loss plus a New Orleans loss. Are you still with me? I hope you are at this point. There's, there's just a lot there. A lot of, uh, lot of scenarios. And then for the Minnesota Vikings, they get in the playoffs with a win plus Green Bay losing, plus Seattle loss, plus a Tampa Bay loss. Another way to get in, they win, Green Bay loses, Seattle loses, and New Orleans loses. So, if you kept up with all that, that is a lot of stuff to digest on how these teams can get into the postseason. That's going to do it for the show today. Be back on Monday, have a preview of the national championship game between Washington and Michigan. I'll be joined by Dustin Schutte from Sports Illustrated, where he covers the Big Ten. So we'll be previewing that on Monday's show. Anyways, guys, remember you can follow me on social media at SEC Podcast available over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. Remember, you can also email me at sports.fieldjordan at gmail.com. You can also... Check out my written work over at Last Word on College Football, where I cover the Auburn Tigers. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Till Monday, talk to you then.